0: So this morning, we're gonna look just at this 15th verse that we read together, but I want to expand it just a little bit. And I've entitled the message here this morning, the Hallelujah Chorus. And some of you are familiar with the Hallelujah Chorus, uh, Handel's Messiah. And it's it's there in the Hallelujah Chorus or in in Handel's Messiah that, that portion there, that is known as the Hallelujah Chorus, a man names a man named Charles Jennings, uh He's the one who actually arranged the lyrics for that um, great uh, oratorio, as uh, they call it. And he used the King James Bible and the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, all, all throughout the the whole thing, the Messiah, uh, that, that's what he used as his text. And when it comes to the Hallelujah Chorus, he combined the, 11th, uh, the 15th verse of the 11th chapter of Revelation that we read, he combined that with uh, the 6th verse of the 19th chapter of Revelation. And let me read those to you together and then we'll see how the connection is made to the hallelujah chorus here. And so the, the verse that we already read, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying... Hallelujah! for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. And so if you can think of that in your mind, that as that builds, that hallelujah, hallelujah, and the Lord God Almighty and and all of that, that's right there in that just amazing uh, piece of music. But when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, there will be a shout of praise to the Lord like has never been heard before. And of course, that's what hallelujah means. It means praise the Lord. So there's going to be this this universal uh, praise to the Lord when the kingdoms of this world finally become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And so what what I wanna do today is I want to look at... um, the kingdoms of this world, what has been, and the coming kingdom of Christ, what will be in the future. And show the, the contrast between the two. And also practically, you know, two things, I think I, I wanna sort of conclude from it, is number one, the, the tremendous hope that we have in the fact that there is a kingdom coming, over which Christ will reign. And then secondly, since that is the case, that we have an opportunity today to uh, experience that kingdom and to engage in the advancement of the kingdom as we await the, the final realization of it when uh, the Lord himself returns. So, so looking first at the kingdoms of this world for a moment, regardless of their outward attractiveness their treasures, literature, art, buildings, monuments, those kinds of things that we so often think of when we think of uh, the kingdoms of this world. Regardless of all that, all kingdoms throughout all of history have been marked by oppression, injustice, inequality, cruelty. That, That has been the reality in every kingdom. Now, obviously, some more so than others, but to some degree, all kingdoms, empires and nations share these negative traits. Uh, The historian, Edward Gibbon, who wrote the classic, uh, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he said this. He said that history is little more than the register of the crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind. And when you think back over our history, that is pretty accurate. That's the reality, regardless of what things look like on the surface. Now, when we think of the kingdoms of this world, there are two views there's the you know kind of the the view of man if you will man looks at the kingdoms of this world and stands in awe of them and then there's the view of god now in the book of daniel and as we pointed out before daniel is very much a parallel to the book of revelation daniel is is kind of the old testament version really of The book of Revelation. But there in Daniel, in the second chapter, maybe you remember reading this, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in this dream, he sees this image, this large image. Uh, It's the image of a man. And here's what it says about the image. It says that the image, it was a great image whose splendor was excellent and its form awesome. And, and that's kind of the way man has seen the kingdoms of the world. Awesome, excellent. The 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 glory is Im- impressive. And Nebuchadnezzar saw this image, and maybe you remember if you've read it over there. It had a head of gold, and then it had uh, arms and and or chest and arms of silver, and then it had uh, belly and thighs of bronze, and then. Uh, the feet and uh, the legs and the feet were uh, of um, iron and, and, and then of clay, but it was this magnificent image. And this is the way that man sees the kingdoms of this world. Uh, the devil in seeking to appeal to Jesus in that temptation, uh, he kind of presented the world in the same way. He, you remember he took Jesus to a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, if you bow down and worship me, these can be yours. Now, you see, of course, what the devil didn't take into account was Jesus could see beyond the thin veneer of the splendor. He could see the reality that was there behind uh, each of the, the kingdoms of the world. And so it's true. You can look at the kingdoms of the world. You can look today, for example, at, at some of the great cities around the world. You know, maybe you're going to go on vacation and you want to go to one of the great European cities, perhaps, or uh, one of the great cities in another place. And you, you go online and you, you check out all of the different Sites that you want to visit, and you see these magnificent buildings, and you you're attracted by the architecture, and you think of all the wonderful restaurants and places like that, and you just think, oh, you know, this is uh, this is such a great city. And I, I personally, you know, there are a number of cities around the world that I really do love to visit. I, I obviously I love London very much; it's probably my favorite city in the world. Uh, New York is a great city. You know, a lot of cities are great, but. The, the truth of the matter is, you don't have to uh, go far before you're out of all of the splendor and the glory of it, and, and you get an insight into the, the underbelly, so to speak. And that, that's the reality in every city, right? You've got those great, magnificent buildings, and you've got those museums, and you've got those theaters, and you've got those restaurants, and you've got those historical sites, and you've got all of that. But man, you've got a whole nother dimension of things going on that's not uh, so obvious, but the truth is it's there. The prostitution, the drug addiction, the oppression, the, 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 the slave labor, you know, all of those kinds of things. That, that's the reality of the kingdoms of this world. And that's how God sees the kingdoms of this world. And Daniel himself has a vision that is the same vision that Nebuchadnezzar had, but it is shown in a completely different way. It's the same kingdoms that are being looked at, but they're not being seen as majestic, and awesome, but they're actually being seen as ferocious beasts. In the seventh chapter of Daniel's prophecy, Daniel has a vision. And he has a vision, just as Nebuchadnezzar did, of the, the kingdoms that would come. But in Daniel's prophecy, rather than this uh, glorious image, there was a winged lion. A lion is a ferocious beast. There was a devouring bear. There was a winged, four headed leopard. And these represented Babylon, Persia, Greece. And then there was one final uh, kingdom that was considered. And Daniel described it in this way he said, and a fourth beast that was dreadful, terrible, And exceedingly strong with huge iron teeth, and it broke and crushed everything under its feet. So, you see, that's the, that's God's take on the kingdoms of this world. And that is the truth about the kingdoms of this world. That's what has happened all throughout the long history of man. From one kingdom to another, you've had the same kinds of things, the oppression, the injustice, the inequality, inequality, the, the cruelty. It's always been there and it's still there today. But in contrast to that, there is a kingdom that is coming and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. We're talking about a repossession of the earth. Jesus is coming to take over the world. That's what he's coming to do. And we cannot forget that. It is such a massive part of the the biblical revelation. So much of scripture is talking about the, the fact of the Lord's return. Uh, We talk much about the Lord's first coming, and we talk about the cross and the resurrection, and of course we do. That's the foundation for everything, and we can never neglect that or leave that out, but we don't want to overlook the fact that that is the foundation upon, upon which the kingdom is to be established. The kingdom is yet to come. And so we of all people, we as his people, we need to be the ones that are living with the expectation of the establishing of this kingdom. Now, the kingdom of Christ could be described in a number of different ways, but Paul describes it in Romans 14:17 in this way, and this is the, the description that I want to use. He describes the kingdom of God as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul uses that to describe the current manifestation of the kingdom. So here's the thing that we need to remember, that the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God, this kingdom that is coming has already come partially, but it's going to come in its totality in the future. But on the individual level, we can enter the kingdom today, but this is just a foretaste of what is going to come in the future when the Lord actually uh, establishes the kingdom. So it will be a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. Let's just talk about those three things real quickly. It will be a kingdom of righteousness. What, when we talk about a kingdom of righteousness, what are we talking about? We're talking about a kingdom in which everything will be made right. See, there, there will be nothing wrong in that kingdom. Every wrong will be righted all of all of the wrongs of history all of the wrongs that we currently live with they will not be a part of that future kingdom everything will be right oppression injustice inequality none of those things will exist none of those things will ever exist again. It is a kingdom of righteousness, and it is established by Christ, who is the righteous king. And Isaiah is the prophet that gives us the most detail about these things. Now, maybe you've, you've heard this before. If you haven't, uh, let me just tell you that Isaiah is known as the prophet of the Messiah. And Isaiah, more than any other prophet, gives us details about the person of the Messiah, about the work of the Messiah, and about the kingdom of the Messiah. So as we're talking about the the coming kingdom of Christ, I want to uh, use Isaiah and his uh, statements to show you what it is that we're talking about here. So when it comes to righteousness, Isaiah chapter 11, verses three through five, say this. Speaking of Christ, speaking of Jesus, when he returns, he will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. You see, the kingdom is going to be a righteous kingdom because it's going to be ruled by a righteous king. And there will not even be allowance for unrighteousness. It will not be tolerated for a moment in that kingdom. And because the Lord is the one who's going to be the ruler and he's going to dispense the justice and all that, it's going to be a perfectly righteous kingdom. That's what is coming in the future. That's what we are uh, longing for and that's what we are actually waiting for. So it's a kingdom of righteousness. Secondly, it's a kingdom of peace where the increase of his government, it says in Isaiah chapter nine, the increase of his government, the Prince of Peace, uh, the increase of his government will, will have no end. So it will just continue to expand with no end ever. And it is a reign of peace. I can't remember the exact statistics. Somebody calculated it at one point, uh, the number, the number of years, you know, calculating based on the, the history of man, uh, the number of years that the world has known peace has been so small in comparison to the the rest of history. So the vast majority, 95% of history has been marred by war. And maybe a a mere 5% of history has had times of of peace. And of course, it's relative. I mean, there might be peace in one area, but there's there's, there's not peace in another area. And so that's been the mark of human history. But Jesus is going to establish a Kingdom of peace. And once again, Isaiah tells us about that. In the second chapter of Isaiah, verses two through four, it says this Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the kingdom of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And now listen, he shall judge between many nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow, that's the future under the reign of Jesus. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. All of the money that is spent to build up uh, national defense, uh, in some cases and in other cases, national offense, um, all of the, the billions and even trillions of dollars that are spent on weapons of war, all of that is going to be diverted toward agriculture. Think about that. No, no need to uh, continue to try to develop new and better weapons because there will be no war. He will put an end to war, and all of those resources will be put into agriculture and into the blessing of humanity. And so it is a kingdom of peace that Jesus is going to bring. And then it is a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of joy. And in this word joy, you have implied happiness, contentment, fulfillment. All of these things are are wrapped up in this idea of joy. Now, if you were to go out and do a survey, and I don't care where you go, any place in the world, you just go out and ask the one simple question, you know, what, what do you want more in life than anything else? Most people are going to answer with this same answer. Most people are going to say, well, I'd like to be happy. Now, happiness and joy are, are a little bit different. Uh, joy is better because joy includes happiness and fulfillment and contentment. Happy, the just, you know, the reality of happy is it's uh, fleeting. It's, it's based on circumstances, but joy goes beyond that. So joy is something greater. This is what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. But this is something that man, even though this is the, the great quest of all humanity for all time, uh, we've never been able to attain it. We've never been able to find it. And of course, the biggest problem is because we try to find it apart from God who made us. And that's an impossibility. C.S. Lewis was absolutely right when he said this, human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. That's what history is. And it's a long and terrible story. Actually, think about this. Attempts at utopia during the 20th century, whether communist or fascist, all produced something more like hell on earth than heaven on earth. Now, the irony is that the claim was that they were going to bring heaven to earth with out God being involved in it, fascism communism it 's all atheism. The only difference between the two is one is uh, oppression by maybe a single individual, the other is oppression by a group of people, a party, the communist party, for example and again, the irony is that those who embrace these ideologies they Believed wholeheartedly that they were going to bring about a perfect world. That's why they're called utopian ideologies. It's uh, the word "utopia" means uh, no such place, <laughs> and that's the truth. There is no such place. They thought they were going to establish it. It never came into existence. But like I said, the irony is that thinking that they were going to create some kind of a heaven on earth, they, they literally created a hell on earth. And so it's always the case where the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of man is always ultimately corruption, conflict, and misery that has marked man's attempt at self-rule from the very beginning. That's the way it's been. And it's the way it's always going to be. And it's astounding that we're living in a time right now when, when people who should know better, who should know that these ideas do not work, they not only do not create heaven on earth, they create hell on earth. And we've got people insisting that that's really the way that we should go. It's crazy. It's a crazy time. But people are longing for a a kingdom. They're longing for happiness and and these things. But the, the tragedy, again, is that they're trying to find them apart from God. And it will never, ever be realized. It will always go in the same direction. But Christ, He has brought a kingdom that is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. And once again, we look to Isaiah in the 35th chapter, the 10th verse. And Isaiah, this is what, how he described the future in relation to joy. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing with everlasting joy on their heads they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's where things are headed. That's where God plans to take the world when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Just for your own personal edification, read Isaiah chapter 11, read Isaiah chapter 35, read Isaiah chapter 65, all of those chapters along with the portion of chapter two that we looked at, all of those chapters speak to us about the glory of this kingdom that's coming. And there's a ton of things that I left out. So it'll be a blessing to you to go back over those chapters yourself and just see in even more detail the things that the Lord has in store for us as he comes. So here's the thing as we close today, here's the thing that we need to realize that the kingdom that is coming has already come in one sense. You see, we, we wait for that kingdom that we've been talking about, we wait for the universal manifestation of it, but we can experience it personally and individually today. Because the passage that I used as our, our basis for looking at the kingdom, uh, Romans 14:17, Paul there says, "For the kingdom of God," and he's speaking of the kingdom of God in its present manifestation, for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit." See, the present manifestation of the kingdom of God is in the life of individual Christians and in the life of the church collectively. So in our lives individually, we can experience the kingdom as we come under the lordship of Jesus, as he becomes the the king of our lives. That's really what happens when we receive Christ. He becomes our king. And when he becomes our king, we enter the kingdom, and we then experience that righteousness. We experience that peace. We experience that joy. That's in our own hearts. But then that reality manifests itself amongst us collectively as well. So you see the church, and it's interesting because the New Testament speaks of the church as the kingdom of God. So we're like the beginning of the kingdom. So the church ideally should be a place where there's righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what the church should be. And if for whatever reason, that's not what it is, then we've missed the, the point somewhere. And <laughs> we need to figure that out. And you know, but, it usually comes down to we just haven't really allowed Jesus to be the Lord of the church as he is supposed to be. But that's the truth of the matter. So the kingdom is already here, but yet it's still coming in its fullest manifestation in the future. And as we await the full manifestation of the kingdom, we have the opportunity to advance the kingdom in its present form. We have the opportunity to advance the kingdom in its present form. Now, make no mistake about it. The, the, the church is not responsible for establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. That's the responsibility of Jesus. He's going to come and do that. But in the meantime, until he comes to do that, we can advance the kingdom in the world today, as we see other people brought under the lordship of Christ. So, as we wait for the return of Jesus, we are to wait for him while working toward the advancement or we're we're to work toward the advancement of the kingdom while we wait for him. So here we are, we've experienced that and God wants to use us to advance that. He wants to use us to spread that to the life of others. And so I wanna leave you with this appeal today, the appeal to make sure you are as a, subject of the kingdom. Make sure you are yielded to the king and allowing him to do in and through your life the things that he wants to do because he still wants to advance his kingdom further and further in the world before he comes to establish it in its universal sense. The Lord is moving today. He's marching on and he is saving people. That's how the kingdom expands by people coming into the kingdom. The kingdom grows by new people being added to it. And God has called us and he wants to use us to play a part in that. And you know, here's the amazing thing. You never know to what extent God might use you. You never know. He might use you in very uh, humble ways where he's called you and and you're going to advance the kingdom. You know, the kingdom advances one soul at a time. One person coming to Christ, God might use you in humble ways to, you know, share with a few people in your life that are are going to come to him and you never know what's going to happen with their lives. You know, you might be the person that shares with somebody that's going to go on to, radically advance the kingdom because that's the call of God on their life. And, you know, in the end, you're going to be a partaker of the fruit of that. But it's also possible that you might be a person that God's going to do something uh, through that's going to be uh, extraordinary extraordinary, not in the sense that you're, you're better than everybody else, but just extraordinary. You know, God has a different call on people's lives. And the important thing is that we're faithful to the call, whether it's to, uh, lead, lead few to Christ or many to influence few or many. God, God's called us all to something, but you never know. You never know what God's going to do. And I just, I shared this last service. It just kind of came spontaneously, but I was thinking about um, what happened last weekend in Dallas, and I was thinking about Greg, and I was thinking about uh, just, you know, the way that God uh, used him last week and has used him over the years, and Greg and I have been really good friends for lots and lots of years, and I've seen, you know, God do amazing things in his life, but I think... uh, He, probably more than anybody else, is absolutely astounded at what happened last week. Did you know that that event, Harvest America, was the largest single evangelistic event in the history of the United States? That's astounding. Over over 350,000 people Participated. 350,000 people participated in that event. Over 25,000 people made decisions to follow Christ last weekend. It's amazing. And again, my, my, my bigger point, I mean, that's a, that's a great you know, praise report that we wanted to share, but my, my bigger point is that um, if you would have asked Greg 40-plus you know, years ago when he first came to Christ, if you would have asked him if he, you know, could have ever imagined in his entire life that something like this would be something that God would do, of course, he would not have been able to even conceive of such a thing. And my point is that we don't know what God's going to do with our lives, but we know that he's going to do something. And whether it's something like that, or something more you know, humble, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's not, you, know, you don't have the, the masses of people and so forth. That, that doesn't matter. The, the point is not how big or small it is. The point is that we faithfully do whatever it is that God has called us to do in regard to the advancing of his kingdom. And so we have the opportunity. Jesus is going to come. The kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. But the kingdom has already come in one sense and we are part of it. And part of our task is to advance it while we have the opportunity. So God help us to do that. And God help us to stay encouraged Because remember, the day is coming when the Lord God omnipotent will reign. The kingdoms of this world will be the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And there will be a shout of hallelujah. There shall be a shout of praise the Lord that will be heard throughout the universe and beyond. What a glorious day. Lord, thank you that your kingdom is coming. And Lord, thank you that it's already come in one sense and that we are part of it. And Lord, as we have received your mercy and become part of your kingdom, and as we've tasted of the righteousness, the peace, and the joy of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you work in us so that you can work through us for the advancement of your kingdom as we wait for the day when you come and set it up universally. We thank you that you are faithful and that you are going to do that. Lord, as we see the world darkening on so many different fronts, as we see evil rising. Lord, we thank you that we know the future. We know the end of the story. We thank you that you will come. And we say, praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. We thank you. So, Lord, keep our hearts focused on these truths. Keep us filled with joy. And keep us working for the furtherance of your kingdom. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.